Is everyone ready? Psalm 63. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate and without water. So I gaze, on you, <clears throat> I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When on my bed I think of you, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my help. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. But those who seek to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become the jackal's prey. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. Thanks, Connie. Thanks, Ken. Okay, keep your Bibles open. Grab your outlines. Uh, hopefully that will uh, help. Help you concentrate, help you think about it. Um, while just getting ready, let's just uh, ask God for his help. Our loving Heavenly Father, again, we just uh, ask that you would speak to us. Uh, we pray that your words would be sweeter than honey uh, to our taste and beautiful to our ears to hear. And we pray that in your mercy, your words would fall on, fall on good soil and we would produce a crop of trust and obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't get no satisfaction, though I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Um, uh, you might have noticed that the very first album, I, uh, first record I ever bought, singles in our days, Little 45, the first song I ever bought uh, was It's Only Rock and Roll But I Like It uh, by the Rolling Stones. So whenever I said the Rolling Stones, I remember, you know, that turning to music and liking it. But this is the song, whenever you think Rolling Stones, this is the first song that comes into my head. And uh, I've heard it sung and done in so many different places in different ways. And I think it's a song that, is, uh, that, that hit a chord with many, many, many people. Uh, it allowed people to express their dissatisfaction at life. Um, and I think people have sung that song with a deep sense of satisfaction at one point or another in their life. Uh, it's gone past uh, mixed generation to the next generation, generations after, and the song's still around. Uh, I notice it's very easy to get to uh, when you go looking for songs. Um, it, it was a good song in a way, but it had an aggressive edge to it. Uh, it was a, a frustration and anger to it. Uh, you know, uh, that being frustrated at, at not finding satisfaction. Now, I'm sure I don't want to think too hard about what Mick was thinking about. I'm pretty sure it was girls. But, you know, but I think other people who have sung that song have not just gone in that direction. They've gone in other directions about how life has turned out. Uh, and we're not surprised by that, really, because as we read the Bible, God's telling us that we will be dissatisfied in life because of sin uh, because of sin, we're never going to quite find anything right in this world. Things are going to let us down. The things that we chase are going to enslave us. They're going to, they're going to hurt us if we go after them. They're going to not give us uh, what they promise. Uh, we'll end up in a worse place. 
uh, all those sort of things. And, and though we are born wanting satisfaction, wanting satisfaction, and I want satisfaction, and you want satisfaction, uh, it is something that is still very difficult to have and to get. And I think another song that sort of caught people's attention and, and got this resounding feeling people was U2's I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. That sort of idea, that too went sort of number one and still staying out there as a, a popular song. I cannot find what I'm looking for. People, are, I've tried and I've tried and I, I just can't find it. There's something else. Um, and we know there's many good things to enjoy in this world, in God's world. Lots of great, great things. And uh, we know that healthy relationships are absolutely connected uh, to this feeling of satisfaction that we have and contentment in life. Um, uh, it's very seriously con connected, but we know that even in those things, there's still something missing in that relationships and good relationships help, but they don't seem to have and give what they promise. Uh, they still, there's still something else there that people are looking for that we want. Um, uh, we find it for a while and then it goes again. Then it's just, we find it for a while, it goes again. And we're chasing and we're chasing and we're chasing. Uh, even as God's people, we can fall into this trap. We can be tricked by the world, the flesh and the devil. And we can be chasing these things to give us the things that we want. But we've got no satisfaction, no lasting deep satisfaction um, and then, of course, there's the things going wrong. Things are going well, things go wrong, and it takes it away from us. And so whatever way or whatever thing we're chasing to try and get satisfaction, it's got to handle when things go wrong because life is about things going wrong in many ways. And so if our satisfaction can't handle things going wrong, then we are going to forever be losing it, forever chasing it on this endless treadmill of trying to get something that just won't last and can't actually satisfy us in the end. People uh, in this world, the world teaches us that satisfaction is found in things or in people and that's where you find it. So you've got to go after those things. Uh, if only I get this or if only I do that or if only I can find that person or uh, if I could have that child or that grandchild or if I could just retire and, and keep on going, if I can just do what I want, if I can just go on a holiday, if I can just have a little bit more money, then it'll be okay. Or if I just have this experience or that experience, if I could just get them to do that, then I would be happy. If I could just stop them doing that, then I would be happy. And it's an endless cycle of things. They're all good, but they never quite give it. And we're on it and we know about it. And I know any of you who are alive and awake and thinking about life know that this is true. But I also know that most of us in this room have learnt or are learning and that God's people have found, or as they mature, they're finding that satisfaction is only really found in the Creator and not in the creation. Real satisfaction is found in the God who made us, the God who made us for connection, the God who is a relationship and who calls us into relationship. He is the only one that can give us lasting satisfaction. We find it in him and not in the things that he gives, though they're nice icing. We see this working out in this psalm, of King David, uh, we see the attitudes and the actions of a person who is deeply satisfied in God. For us, some of us, it's just reminding us of where our satisfaction is coming from. For others of us, 
It's telling us how deep satisfaction is experienced in our lives. It's not perfect, but it is deep. And we've got to keep that in our heads. There's nothing perfect in this world but the Lord Jesus. But there is deep satisfaction that God wants us to have, is offering us and gives to us uh, when we learn, when we listen, when we understand what it is that he's saying to us. And what we see is that there are three directions to deep satisfaction for God's people. Three directions that we need to uh, get our heads on top of. Uh, that is, there is attitude or attitudes that we need to have. Uh, there are actions we need to apply. And there are understandings that we are to understand. And so the first one is, uh, uh, is that uh, the attitude that God wants us to have and understand and come to terms with is that God is my desire. God is to be my desire. And so David here is modelling where his satisfaction comes from when he says, verse 1 and 2, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. He's saying four things there to get on top of this attitude of desiring God. That his desire is God. He wants everyone to know that I am like this because I desire God. And I desire the God who, firstly, is my God. It is, again, personal, like we saw last week with contentment. It's got to be a personal relationship, not a knowing about God. I know these things about him and I can pass the exam, but he is my God. He is personal. He is intimate. He's with me everywhere I go. I know him. He knows me. It is an absolute personal thing. Without a personal relationship, there is no relationship with God. Without a personal relationship, there will be no deep satisfaction for it comes from God and the relationship we have with him. And so it is deep and he wants us to know that I, my satisfaction, my is coming from a desire for God because I know that he's the one who gives it and it's personal. And so therefore because he knows that there is a God and as a personal God that you can know, he then is someone who eagerly seeks after that God who has revealed himself through the word by the scriptures in his spirit. He is eagerly looking for him he is eagerly seeking him he's going after him he, he believes what he says and so he's going after him he's, he's not sitting back and waiting for God he's he's eagerly going after him he's putting effort into that relationship that God has started in him he goes after it. I desire you and I'm after it and I want more of it. I, you know, I can't have more of that relationship with you. This is the relationship. I've had a taste and I want more. So I'm going after it and I'm desiring more of you. And so therefore, it's more than that. It is I thirst for you, as Blake did in the kids' talk. Uh, he is thirsting for God. He realises that he now has an appetite for God. He's been given a little bit and now he wants it and he understands this desire and he wants this personal relationship that has begun. He, he realises he needs it badly. He needs it greatly. And, and 
his deepest needs are met in God. Like, like we need water or we'll die. Like we need food and we die. We need God or we'll die. And, and his is eternal and this is temporary and this is real. And so I thirst after you. I desire you. It's deep. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? I always remember, a few times jumped in my head, a few times at football, but one of the ones I really remember is we went for a hike once up to Canangra Walls and up the Mount Cloudmaker, and the guy who took us, uh, we didn't have any water because we were going down the other side to the river, and we were get, we'd sort of run out of water, and we were about to go down the hill, still about three or four k's away, and uh, the guy who took us got uh, exposure. And so uh, he had to be put down, he had to be made warm and all that sort of stuff. We didn't have the water put down. He had to be lied... <laughs> Yeah, poor, poor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, I felt like doing that because he took us out there and then left us. And we were only kids and he was older, but I won't go into the whole thing. But anyway, I had to go find water. And I can remember we were sort of thirsty then because we were heading... And they had to go down and then, and then get it and then come back up. I remember that was a really good drink that day. I can still remember that was very good. I enjoyed that. And then everyone else enjoyed the water I bought back to them because they were waiting. And what's the thirstiest you've been? You know, that sort of idea. But this is what he's using that metaphor. We understand being thirsty. He's saying, we need God more than we need water when we're thirsty. We need God more than we need food. The food won't last. The water won't last. God lasts. We need that spiritual fulfillment. We need that more than we need anything else. It's, it's, Do you believe him? That this is the deepest cry in your heart, the biggest need that you have, that you need God more than you need water than food. You see, you had a taste of this. If you've, you, Most of us here are Christians. You've turned to the Lord Jesus. You, you see this and you experienced it when you first become Christians, don't we? When you first become Christians, you're hungry for God's word. You just can't get enough. You just go after it. it, it it's... It's just, you want more and more. Give me another course. Give me another reading. Where's a Bible study? Where can I get in it? You want God's word. That's what you do when you say, because you want God, and you can only get God through his word. And so you want to get in. You often see when people first go, they, they take notes, and they, they're really keen to know more. It's because it's, you really want it. Uh, uh, lately, a few people have become Christians. Very exciting. One of them, uh, I could see it coming in a way, uh, she became a, uh, she made a commitment to the Lord at Kick on the weekend, uh, but uh, uh, someone had given her a present of a Bible and some a uh, book to help her read the Bible. And her sister had been noticing when she's going into her room that she's been reading it for the last couple of months. Reading her devotion before she's not there yet, but she just wanted to read. And you realise God's saying, "Come here, come here." It's not a surprise. That when she gets asked, do you want to take, that she just wants to get it. She wants to know the Lord. And now she's right into a Bible. Because we're hungry for the Bible when we first become Christians. And sometimes you can forget that. That when we've got it, we're taking it for granted now. But this is the gift of God that he's given us. We need him more than we need water. He is, he is, I'm thirsty for you. And that's where he comes to us. That's why we're people who read the Bible at home. That's why we get into groups and study it. That's why it's the centre of what we do in church. Because we want God and God comes through his word for us. And so, you know, we, Dave's reminding us that, that he wants us to know that his desire is for God. And so he looks to him and he, he's eagerly after him. Him and he's thirsting for him because he knows that's where you get him, you see. And that's what I need. And so my attitude is I need him, I need him, I need him. And fourthly, I gaze on him. I, I'm looking to where he can be found. 
And so in uh, the Old Testament here, in Psalms, he's looking to the sanctuary. David looks to the sanctuary because that is the tabernacle, that is the tent, that is the temple. That's where God said, this is where you can find me on earth. You've got to go there. You've got to look here. But now we know we look to the Lord Jesus because he is the temple. Destroy this temple in three days and I'll be raised. We look to Jesus now. Jesus is where you find God. Jesus is where you connect God. You find God in the Bible. You find Jesus in the Bible by his spirit. That's where you find him. And so that's where we look. We keep looking at the word. We keep preaching the word, singing the word, praying the word, reading the word together, encouraging each other with the word, seeing the word, because that's how you bring God. That's where you get him. And so he gazes at the one place you can get it. You can't have God without Jesus, without his word. You can't have him. That's the only place you can find him. If you think you have God without him, you are fooling yourself because there's only one place you can get him. And so David reminds us that his satisfaction in this terrible circumstance that he's going through is he wants us to know it's because he's personal and because he's seeking him and because he thirsts for him and knows he needs him and because he's looking for where he can be found and that is what is his desire that is feeding his deep satisfaction. But it's more than just a desire. It turns into actions. And so the second thing, he has actions, and his actions is, I act because I know it's true that God is better than life. It's not just I desire him and thirsty, but God is better than life. Better than anything in this world is knowing him and having him. There's nothing better. And so let us just read from verse 3. My lips, my lips, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live at your name. I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie in my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you, your right hand holds on to me. You see, what happens, he has a desire, but he has actions and actions that are feeding the the deep satisfaction that God wants to give him in his relationship with him. So he has the desire, he knows that's what I need, but then he does stuff. He acts. He does things that nurture that and help uh, that deep satisfaction that God gives him. It's not something he's getting himself that comes from God. What are the things that he does? Uh, What he does, the actions that he does that feed his satisfaction is firstly that he will glorify God with his lips. That is, he will talk about God all the time. He's lifting him up. He's always talking with him, with his family, with his friends at work, at home, at play, after church. That is, it's not the only thing he talks about, but he's, he's talking. He's getting Jesus on his lips. He's getting God on his lips and he's glorifying him. He's lifting him up. He's not using God's words and pulling people. He's building people up. He's lifting up God. You get the picture? And so the action of what he's doing is he is talking up God all the time. And and part of the, the consequence of talking up God all the time, of talking about God and what he has said, is that he is deeply satisfied in him. Because God wants to come to him. God wants to be known more. God wants to be wants us to be satisfied in him and not in the world. And so he keeps talking about him, the things he has said, the things he has done. He keeps talking him up. Now, just think of some of the names 
that God has, some of the titles that he has. He is creator, provider, redeemer, father, healer, leader, guide, shepherd, protector, helper, saviour, potter, refuge, shelter, just to name a few. Talk him up. He's a God who's made you, the God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who's given you. Talk him up. Talk him up. You'll be satisfied, you see. It's an action that makes us and helps us enjoy him more and he comes to us more through that. He's a good, good father. He's a great saviour who comes to us wanting us to know him, know him more, to find joy and satisfaction in him. And he wants us to have that for everything can be taken, but he can't. And so what he does is he glorifies action, God with his lips, always talking about him. You noticed that at Michelle's funeral, didn't you? You know, to talk about Michelle was to talk about Jesus. Because Michelle always talked about Jesus. Michelle was always on about Jesus. Michelle was finding joy in Jesus. He was always on her lips. So anyone who talks about her, talk about it. Anyone who loves the Lord Jesus, he's going to be on their lips. We're going to glorify him. The more satisfied we're in him, the more we're going to talk about him. The less you know someone who talks about Jesus, the less satisfied, the less maybe not even know him. Because we're going to be talking about him. It starts off small and we build it up. It's part of maturity and growing, but we will be talking about him, especially at church, in our growth groups. In our, we're going to be talking, but as we go about life and our families, because his love is better than life. Knowing him is better than anything else. Everything else can be taken as long as you don't take him from me. And so his first action is I glorify him with his lips. But the second action is I think of you on my bed. I think of you on my bed, verses 6 and 7. So what's he, what's he doing here? He's got two thoughts uh, happening here. I think who you really are is who you are when you're in your bed alone with your thoughts. What's on your mind when you're in bed is what you really care about. That's who you really are. You can pretend while you're awake, but when you're in bed, that's who you really are. And so, so he's saying, I want you to know, I think about God in my bed. Now, I thought this was very interesting. Um, uh, some of the things that stood out from the family camp with Kel Willis, um, yeah, great speaker, I really enjoyed him at a, a different an angle. Um, but one of the things that caught my attention that stayed with me was, you remember, he had a near-death experience? And the doctors were amazed because when he came out of his near-death experience, he spoke about Jesus and God. They said, how come you're doing that? And his answer was, because I love him. The first thing on his mind when he comes out was Jesus. When Michelle and when Sue and I were there, when she was resuscitated, and she comes out, what was the first thing she spoke about? God and Jesus. Because he loves, she loves him. We love him. It should be on our mind. It's just going to come out of us because we love him. If we know him, it's going to come out. It's not meant to be a, you know, try harder. It's just he is worth loving. Love him. Enjoy him. He's, he wants us. He wants to give more of himself to us. And so think about it on your bed. So on your bed is just who really is important to you. What is your life really about? It's what you think about when you're in bed. But on the other side, uh, when waking up in your bed and, 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 and on the small watches of the night is a way of saying your concerns, isn't it? If you're anything like me, you know, I, I, when I don't have a good night's sleep, it's often uh, about something's on your mind. 
Now, as I'm getting older, it's the football. I should have tackled with the other shoulder, not just this one, and it aches, and that knee aches a little, and it's waking me up. That's getting old. I realise that they'll come back and get you and all that sort of stuff. But most of the time when I'm sleepless, it's because something's on my mind. And uh, uh, I've learnt years ago this... Someone spoke about it somewhere, and I guess I, I remembered it and did it. And that was uh, when he says, I, I think about you and I meditate on you in the night, the small watches of the night. Uh, uh, I remember that was a, someone put that as, that's like memorising. And so what I do when I wake up in the night, I often just pray, God, you know, help me go back to sleep, a few selfish ones like that, which are not a bad ones to pray, you know, help me to go back to sleep, and pray a few thoughts like that. But what I found out, it's a great time to do memory verses. So, so over the years, I've been waking up and I start going, oh... All authority has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age, and for it is by grace we're saved through faith, it's not by... You know, and God demonstrates his love. And, and just on and on and on and on and on, and, and you, you often fall asleep in the middle of them somewhere. But what I do now is I wake up in the middle of the night, I say, hi God, say a couple of things. What memory verses? What, what's in you? I try to think of a book and say, what verses do I know from that? And I start memorising. And it's been one of the best things I've ever done because what goes on my mind when I wake up in the middle of the night now is not so much my problem. The problem wakes me up. I talk to God and I do memory verses. and It's such a great thing. And that's what David's saying he's doing here. As, we, as Ken reminded us, well, I'm glad he did that, that it's his, his son is the one, his first son, is the one who's raised up and is really trying to kill him so he can take over the throne. And yet here he is, deeply satisfied, while he's run away with all his family, not knowing what's going to happen, if you've read the story. Um, but even in this terrible, this terrible situation, he can be satisfied. He can be deeply satisfied in the middle of troubles. And why? Because he thinks of him. Because he is always praising him with his lips. And so his mind, his heart, goes straight to the Lord he loves. The one who saves and then thirdly, he, he, he follows close to him. Um, uh, I follow close to you, verse 8. Your right hand holds on to me. Um, I, I don't know you. We all, we're all a little emotionally damaged and little things hit us, good things and bad things. One of my good things is, I, 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 I'll just you know, uh, two, two things move me. One is when I ever see anyone hug someone, my heart nearly always jumps. I just love seeing hugs. Just even now, I even said it, I can feel myself tearing up a little. I love, there's some emotional thing in me that maybe I wanted to be hugged as a kid, I don't know, or whatever it is. But, you know, I've got an emotional thing that when I say a hug, I go. The other one is, I love seeing a parent walking with a little child holding their hands. Now, I'm going to pick on Pete now. The other day. I watched Pete walk up the other day. He came up to visit me, but I didn't get his text. And he came wandering up. But I did, I saw him coming with little Brennick. Little Brennick holding his hand. I got a mean, I was staring the whole way, going, that's just lovely. And he stopped and showed him the magnolia tree. And then he went up to the, you know, they looked at the leather box. And then they walked in and Pete's showing him. And my heart was just warm, you see. Now, do you see what God says, verse 8? I follow you close, says David. Your right hand holds on to me. Can you see the picture? He's, he's going, how do I think of God? I know that... You, I'm holding your hand in life. You're leading me. You've got me. You've held me. And that's literally what it is. You, you hold me. You hold my hand. And it is, it is just the picture of intimacy and of guidance. 
And so he's got an action of going through life. I'm holding your hand and you're taking me where you go. I'm not leading you. Come here. I want to go here. No, I want to do what you say. I want to be your people. I want to be your person. I want to obey you. See, he's got three actions here that are connected to his deep satisfaction. He speaks about him all the time, talks him up, talks up his people, talks up God. He thinks of him on his bed, goes, makes his thoughts go to the one he loves because his love is better than life and he follows close to him because he holds his hand. You see, they're actions that show that he believes that God is better than life. Can, can you see that? That's what people... You know what it's like when you have a great experience? You want to talk about it, don't you? If God is greatest in your life, you want to talk about him, don't you? you know, and, and you know what it's like when you, you first fall in love? That's all you can think about. You get a bit, you know, when God's coming to your life, he, he, he's, I hate to say, he's better than your wife or your husband. He's closer. He knows you better. They're lovely, but he's great. He knows you totally, always with you. He is your creator. He is great. And so God is better than life. And thirdly and lastly, uh, his deep satisfaction is fed by an understanding that God is my defence. God is my defence. Um, uh, and so there's two understandings in this psalm and in the context in verses 9 to 11. Let me just read them again and let me pull out two. But those who seek to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become the jackal's prey. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. Now, what is he saying there? He is saying, but, but my relationship with God is fed by two truths. One is judgment. That is... All of those who are not with the king, not really with the king, will be judged, will be destroyed. The wages of sin is death. Will be destroyed. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son to whoever believes him. You get it. Those who are not with the son, King Jesus, will be destroyed. They will not be with God forever. One of the things I liked about Michelle's funeral, we weren't trying to talk her up with no evidence of her faith with God. We weren't trying to say she was a bit religious and she's gone to that great golf game in the sky or the great basketball team or the great soccer team or whatever their hobby was when they live for something else and not for their Lord, not that we don't have hobbies, but you get my point. So many people, there's no evidence of their relationship with God because there isn't one. And here's what he's reminding those we will be judged by how we treat King Jesus. David's greatest son, so to speak. By how we treat him. Uh, if we don't desire him, if we don't think he's better than life, it's going to show in our life, isn't it? And so it leads to the second one, what really matters his connection to the king. Verse 11, But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast. You see, what matters is I'm with the king. All that matters is what we're reminded. All that matters is I am with the king and that's why I desire him. That's why I want him. 
and he's good. His faithful love is better than life. He's the one that I wanted. It's such a great win-win. I want him and he wants to be wanted and he wants to give himself to me and I just want to take it. His, his love is greater than life. It's better than anything. Better than anything. Nothing compares to him. And for those of us who are Christians, we've had a taste of that or you know exactly what I'm talking about. But we get tricked by the world, the flesh and the devil, saying, no, this other stuff is better. No, he is better than life. He is all that will matter in the end. Give yourself to him and you will be deeply satisfied no matter whatever happens because he will never let you down. He will save you. He will look after you. He will bring you into eternity with him. He will be someone who gives himself to you. And we'll never get to the end of him. You can have more and more and more and more and he'll give more and more and more of him. So, putting it together. Um, God satisfies us more than anything in life. Desire him. You've got nothing better desire. The attitude of desiring him, you will be satisfied. He's better than life and he is your defence. May we all know this deep satisfaction as we live it out with these attitudes shown in actions, with these understandings that God is better than life because he is. If you don't know that, please talk to me or someone else.